Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Facebook Live Q&A. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I'm here with The Voice. Hello, everyone. Cindy in the house. What's up? All right. So uh, first of all, thank you guys so much for joining us. And share, share, share. I think that's the name of the game. Um, So if this is adding value to your life, please do share it. That's how we're building this community. It is our only ask right now. Uh, So that would be awesome. So hit that share button. Our numbers have been going up, up, up during our lives, which is rad. Super exciting. And uh, we aggregate. Yes, thank you very much. We aggregate these questions from across our social channels. Um, So we kick off usually with something that uh, came in previously. And then if you would start dropping your questions in, we will be able to answer them before the end of the live. Yes, Word. if we keep our questions tight, because we have a you lot mean our answers, left. Over. Let's be fair. Yeah, answers tight. <laughs> answers tight. So this is all, all on right. me. All right, and I am not good at keeping my answers tight. That's no. the truth. That is the truth. But, but the thing is, you're trying to answer the full depth yeah, of the question, exactly. Because we have a lot of good in depth questions. All nice. right. So this first one comes from Jennifer Chubb. She's in Japan. So she's not tuned into this live, but she made sure to submit through the Connect inbox. Nice. So, Tom, I've heard you mention the term bright line several times in uh, reference to your eating schedule. Did you learn about the concept from anyone slash anywhere specific? Also, do you have any other bright lines you've implemented in your life that have been particularly useful? Uh, I did learn about it somewhere. Unfortunately, Bright Lines is one of those things I don't remember where I picked it up. But I'm guessing if you drop in in quotes into um, Google Bright Lines, the mm-hmm. original um, person who coined that term will pop up. Uh, mad love to whoever it is. I'm very, very grateful for that concept. Um, are there other Bright Lines other than my diet? Those working out is a Bright Line. Um, like... Yeah, there. So, God, this is going to go back to diet. I was going to say there's one bright line that I have in the gym. Um, like, if I have to work out really fast and I know I'm not going to get, uh, you know, all my normal workout in, I don't consider it a workout unless I do three different exercises of six sets each. Um, so, the bright line there is that if I don't hit that number, then I don't click over into a high protein diet. I'll go into um, a ketogenic diet, which that's what I do on days that I work out. I eat high protein on days that I don't work out. Um, I eat a ketogenic diet. 
Um, so a lot of times when I'm traveling, for instance, and I'm not able to get a full workout in or any workout at all, a lot of times I'll click over into that, but ultimately it is tied back to diet. So, I mean, there are other things, but like, they're so obvious, like, um, my wife and I have bright lines in the relationship, no cheating, no beating. That's nice and easy, but I don't exactly need a bright line for that. Uh, that's so core to who I am as a human being, but nonetheless, like things like that are there. Um, other things that, yeah, the, in fairness, I'd really have to think about if I'm using bright lines, it's bright lines usually are for things where you have a physical impulse to do them. And so eating, working out for me, those are big ones. So most of my bright lines revolve around that. Right. Do you think there's a way that you can establish that in other areas of real of your life? Or uh, is it- yeah, for sure. So even thinking about it now, things that are, I've never really thought of as bright lines, but are like my 80-20 rule about never spending more than 20% of your time in the darkness, looking at the, uh, you know, hatred and things like that. Um, just cause that's so dangerous. Um, not letting myself talk be too negative. That's a bright line. Um, so yeah, I mean, anything that, <coughs> You know, if people are struggling, oh, another bright line that I get out of bed in 10 minutes or less. Mm. Um, so things like that. Yeah. And I'm sure if I really stop and look at it, there's a lot of areas where um, I've got bright lines, but it's anything that you're struggling to do. If you create a bright line and you just never deviate from that. Um, and that's why I did it with food. It's so easy to be like, oh, it's only a couple minutes early. Like, yeah. you know, I'll just eat this at 1125 and then it's 1115. And it's like, well, you know, I mean, it's 11 already, as long as there's an 11 on the clock, you know, and then it just like keeps sliding until you, you know, you're eating 4,500 calories a day because you've got some excuse. So got yeah. it. Makes sense. All right. Well, hopefully that answered your question, Jennifer. Word. Um, next one comes from Brian Rotkamp, also through the connect box. Tom, once um, you once made a comment that it's really hard to live in a state of gratitude 24 seven, but learning to reach into gratitude on a given in a given moment is a necessary trait. I'm currently struggling with being grateful with some parts of my life, but not others. How does mindset and gratitude work together? Um, it's interesting. So living in a state of gratitude, not only is it hard, and we're doing a test today with Wookie to see if we can uh, keep her quiet without locking her up. And I would say we're failing miserably. <laughs> um, so what, we may have to revisit that. Uh, but the... Gratitude, living in an eternal state of gratitude, I actually think is not effective. It's not an effective strategy. So even more than I'll say it's not possible, I just don't think it's effective to really pushing yourself and driving um, to really keep, and again, this is me, right? Not everybody needs to do that. But if you really want to um, accomplish something on a grand scale, then you're going to have to cultivate um, dissatisfaction. Like you're gonna have to be able to turn to that I am deeply dissatisfied with how well we're keeping the dogs quiet right now. Um, so that, that is a perfect example. Uh, so yeah, you really need to get um, hardcore about one, deciding what it is you're trying to accomplish. So if you want a life that's stress-free and all of that, then really focusing on gratitude is going to be super useful. Uh, whereas for me, I do it in an 80-20 balance. I'm trying to spend about 80% of my time really like being deeply grateful for things. And, you know, one example this morning, um, Lisa and I were talking about something and it was like, there was one way where you could frame it where it's like, this is kind of going wrong, but then Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it's like, there's so much going right. And so, you know, you really have to, that's when it's like the 80-20 rule. So we were both 
let's focus on the things that we're grateful for. And we literally just started listing them out. It's like the love of somebody that you care so much about and have all this respect for. And, you know, and there she is. Yay. Um, and in putting ourselves in that frame of reference, it was like, wow, it's crazy how fast Right. That switches. But the reason that I think that it's important not to only spend your time there is you'll never be looking for improvement. Like right. if you're just, and you know, Tony Robbins talks a lot about priming, starting your day by thinking about things you're grateful for sets you up in the right way. I think that's really, really smart. Um, but then at the same time, like when I really think about the things we're trying to accomplish and we're not there yet, and you know, we're at the very beginning of a very long journey, like the only way for me to keep pushing my skill set and trying to figure out like, what is it that I don't understand yet? Because we're not where we want to be. And always pushing that forward, that's really critical. And knowing how to do that gas break thing is, is pretty critical. So it's for me, it's judging against um, knowing where I'm trying to get to and knowing that my skill set's already taken me as far as it's going to. And so for me to get farther, I have to develop something new, have a new insight, gain a new skill, whatever the case may be. Um, and, and that comes from being pleasantly dissatisfied. Not something I want people to understand. Like it isn't me, like I'm not sitting in that dissatisfaction and like punching myself in the mouth. Right. I'm sitting there like kind of smug, like, yeah, motherfucker, you're you're willing to look at that. You're willing to look at where you're weak. You're willing to look at where you're underperforming. And so as I'm looking at the things that I'm wildly dissatisfied by, I'm also feeling good about myself for being willing to do that. Right. And so like understanding that what you build your self-esteem around is critical and that gratitude is only part of the puzzle and it's a very effective part of the puzzle. But for people to think, well, I, you know, do my three minutes of gratitude in the morning or every time I think of something negative, I go to gratitude. That's great. But at some point it becomes a pacifier and there's something else going on. And maybe you're building your self-esteem around something that's fragile. And so you keep having to rely on gratitude to like knock you out of this sort of self, um, negativity space where if you just switched your self-esteem from like being smart or being right, which is where I spent my time to being a learner. And now all of a sudden, like you get to feel good about yourself, right. not for knowing something, just for being willing to go out and learn. Right. So, Cause you're now opening yourself up to new possibilities 100%. and different paths. All right. Uh, so this next one comes from Jesse and Jenny Silva. Nice. Um, we know so them they, well. exactly our Philly fam. So they want to know, Tom, so your last few impact quote videos show an intensity and charisma that feel 10 X compared to previous pieces. What, what has happened? Um, to what do you attribute this rise in presentation, depth and sheer intensity? Um, accepting that I'm not yet good enough. And looking at those as something to get better at and watching them and saying, okay, what did I like? What did I not like? What are we missing? Mm -hmm. um, and then we've also started working with a new editor who I think is visually doing something that then makes it seem like I'm doing even more. So you put the two together where I'm every time trying to get a little bit better and I'm practicing and I'm trying things and I'm really um, looking back at it. And, you know, like a performance and saying, okay, where, where am I doing well? Where am I not doing well? Um, getting feedback from people, pushing my own limits, pushing my boundaries, trying stuff. And then you've got Nav who's just crushing it and also trying to push his skills and is trying to do something visually that we've never done, trying to, you know, do something more powerful with the music. Um, so practice is the, the short of that and um, just trying to get better. I dig it. All right. 
You heard it here first, guys. Oh, there it is. Practice, work, workshop, game day footage. Indeed. All right. So this next one comes from Arjun Jane in the comments. Can you please explain your method of meditation? I use um, TM. Transcendental sure. meditation. Okay. But want to try your version as well. What are the bullet points for it? So my version is hella simple, and it started with a guy named Mark Devine, who you can check out at sealfit.com, I think. Um, but certainly Mark Devine. And it's the base of it is called box breathing, and it's where the inhale, the inhale hold, the exhale, and the exhale hold are all equal durations. Um, that didn't feel quite right for me, so I modified it, and I call it a just breathe meditation. The reason I call it just breathe is that when my mind begins to wander, I literally remind myself, excuse me, to just breathe. And what I have found is that I'm trying to maximize the pleasure, the physical pleasure of every part of the breath cycle. So there's four parts. Instead of trying to make them equal, what I'm trying to do is maximize their pleasure. And what that does is it makes me so present. Like I'm so in the moment. I'm in that part of the breath cycle. So um, as what I have found for me, and this is just me, but I do um, a relatively slow, long inhale. I do a relatively short inhale hold just because I found that it was slightly uncomfortable to try to hold the inhale for a long time. And then I do a very rapid exhale where I literally just let the breath out. And in that, man, I really feel that release. And I, it's more in the exhale than anything else that I switch over into the parasympathetic nervous system mm -hmm. and my heart rate begins to lower and my breathing becomes slower and deeper. Um, and then my exhale hold is the longest part of my cycle by far. And there are times where it's probably like seven to 10 seconds long where I'm on the hold of the exhale um, because I find it intensely pleasurable to not need to breathe. And uh, that sounds weird even to me. But so like when I do that, if I'm doing that at a time where I'm tired, I'll fall asleep on the exhale hold. And it's only the need to breathe again that wakes me back up, which is pretty interesting. But that shows that me that my period of deepest relaxation is on the exhale hold. Um, which, yeah, I find deeply pleasurable. And it was the exhale hold that really showed me that, wait a second, the breathing could be intrinsically pleasant. And not just that it's switching me over into parasympathetic and getting me out of my head and getting me out of a sense of anxiety and all of that, but that it actually felt good. And then I thought, could the other parts of it feel good? Um, and so I started focusing on that. And so that's what I come back to every time when my mind begins to wander, like actually find the duration that maximizes the pleasure of each part of the breath. Cool. That's my meditation. All right, Yo. there it is, Arjun. There it is. All right, so this next one comes from Dr. Sagar Nabalia. Um, what's the best way to overcome insecurity? Uh, that is, so insecurity is going to succumb to two things. One, self-talk. So you need to start being more positive in your self-talk. And then you need to be entirely focused on actually getting good at something. So insecurity will fall to you becoming good. And when you realize that becoming good takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, but that you can do it in any arena. There's literally not a single arena that you can't become great at. You may not become the best in the world and it may take you an insane amount of time because you're not getting early wins in it, but there's nothing that you can't get good at. There's nothing you can't become truly world-class at. Like physics scares the life out of me, but I know if I mm -hmm. put my head down and I said, all right, for the next 10 
In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you wanna have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with eBay Motors. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. 15, 20 years, I'm going to immerse myself in the world of physics. I may not get early wins because math is super fucking confusing for me, um, but I know that I could do it. And I know that brick by brick, I could begin putting those mathematical pieces in place and that I could become world-class. I may never have a breakthrough like Einstein, but I could legitimately be dazzling at it. Mm -hmm. Once you know that, then it just becomes a question of what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to be world-class at? Is there something that you get early wins and the early wins are exciting? And so that's going to be something that you're going to double, triple, quintuple down. Like when I think about, um, doing the impact quotes, right? So that's something that I got early wins in with just speaking. And so when I was a kid, it was like, it started as being funny, but at the end of the day, being funny is merely taking your internal world and externalizing it in a way that has a certain effect on people. And it happens to be comedy that you're going for, but you could switch it as I have to wanting to inspire or motivate or educate or whatever the case may be. So I got early wins in that. But if I had Like if you were just seeing my natural level of talent, it's, you know, one-tenth of where I've been able to push it now. And hopefully this is one-tenth of where I'll be, you know, in another five years. So it really comes down to just asking the question, what do I care enough about? What makes me feel alive enough? What am I excited by enough that I really want to pour my heart and soul into it? It can be something that you get early wins, but it certainly doesn't have to be. So, but just understanding that 
Insecurity is self-talk and actual competence. And using your self-talk, 80-20 right, just force yourself. 80% of what you say needs to be positive, period, simple. Love yourself, be good to yourself, be empathetic, be encouraging, mm-hmm. believe in yourself, even if it doesn't feel right, even if it doesn't feel true. If you do it just as a as repetition of positive words, I mean, this is why mantras... Um, have become the sort of cliche that they have because they actually work. And if you use them and repeat positive things to yourself, you will begin to believe them. Like your subconscious is always listening. So whether you're saying something negative, you're saying something positive, it's totally irrelevant. Your subconscious will listen to that. So say positive things. Um, And then the 20% is you actually want the negative voice. I don't think people should try to get rid of it. I think people just need to find that balance of 80-20. And then actually get good at something and get really good at it. Like really dedicate yourself for a very long time to getting good at something. That's when magic happens. Cool. So like a follow-up to that, um, Steve Troutman, he submitted a question in the Connect inbox so he's tying that like um, self-talk, personal narrative, and identity. And he'd like to know for newcomers, is there a formal process that you undertook? For like identity? That? Yeah. So meaning, um, do you recommend sitting out and listing, I'm someone who, dot, 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 and writing that over and over or you know anything like yes, that? Yes. I've never gone in on the over and over writing things down. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm certainly not opposed to it. It's just not a technique I've ever used. Um, but... Yeah. So I literally say, I'm the type of person that I'm the type of person that even though he doesn't like to work out, he works out. I'm the type of person that has bright lines with food. I'm the type of person that, um, is a learner. I'm the type of person that, um, doesn't build my self-esteem around being right. I build my self-esteem around identifying the right answer. Like I, I literally just say those things and I say those things to other people so that they'll hold me accountable. Right. I say yes to things. Um, that way when I go to like, I hesitate, I don't want to do something. People are like, Hey, remember. Exactly. So that kind of stuff, um, it through the repetition and then through acting in accordance with it really begins to be your identity. Um, and because I've also built that, like, I don't, and this is pretty innate to humans, but I really fuel this. I don't want to be somebody who says one thing and does another. Like, that's really important to my sense of emotional well being. So, to be who I want to be, to believe in myself, when I say something, then I've got to be congruent with that. So, for me to say not work out anymore, I would have to say, like, I'm a person who doesn't care about that. Like, I'm, I'm no longer interested in, um, you know, being in shape. I'm no longer interested in the value that comes out of being strong, uh, the value that comes out of um, longevity, all of that. Like I would have to say that. Otherwise I would feel totally incongruent. So because I don't want to do that, I keep working out because it's also a part of discipline for me. And I view myself as a very disciplined person. In fact, like you want to talk superpower, I have a crazy ability to suffer and I have a high degree of installed discipline. I was not born with discipline. But I installed that shit. Discipline is definitely something that is built. No question. Is built. Okay. Um, So the next question comes from Laura Dufresne. Laura Um, Dufresne in the house. She says, hello. So do you keep a physical or digital planner, calendar, or organizational system? If you do, what do you find most effective? 
So I use iCal calendar. Um, I also have my most important list, which is mm-hmm. probably the way more important thing for me. Um, I'm really bad at my calendar and that's really what my assistant is for. I've very much outsourced like the keeping yeah. of my calendar. Cause sorry, you, you terrible. ran it for a while on your own, I but did. it started to become a little, a little crazy. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, that's know but thyself. it's like, exactly. Know thyself. Yeah. So. Um, so my most important list that I go over, not every day cause I don't do it on the weekends, but, uh, Monday through Friday, I'm going through my most important list. I have time blocked off from eight to 10. I work on whatever is most important. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big thing for me and keeping that list and going over that list every day, making sure that you update the list, making sure that if you skip something more than a couple days in a row that you got to move it off the list, it clearly isn't that important. Um, so that's been really, really effective for me. So identifying what those critical things are, um, that, are necessary for you to achieve your goals, having them written down, going over them, making sure that you're taking action on them every day, every day, every day. So got to be taking action. That's the the most important part. Nice. I personally use um, multiple things. Uh, So I have Google Keep has like this really great interface so you can use it on your phone and it's actually like google keep google keep i never heard of it yeah me neither and my sister put me on to it and it was awesome because each note i can color code it so now i can actually visually see and i'm a visual person so like it's great to see the lists that are on like the red one which is like urgent needs to be done obviously and then you know there's a different color for like everything related to impact theory things for like you know, movies and TV that I want to watch or books that I want to read. So now I've found that it it pleases me to like look right. at those lists and like update them and rearrange them nice. so that they can be in the right order of focus. App. So it's an app. You can also use it through the computer and it all just syncs because mm-hmm. it's all through Google. So right. if you have your Gmail, you just sign up that way and we can share lists. So now like our grocery list is shared so we can just like go back and forth and just make sure it's like we need light bulbs we need this which is awesome and then um and then i use like my iCal to like Mm. you know for meetings and other things and then those are also kind of color coded as well so i realized like color coding things is very helpful for me Mm. so that might be something that might work for you laura so nice great tip yeah all right so this next one comes from chris berry What's up, Chris? I know. Did his fast. So this man was yes. in on that three-day fast. Well played, my friend. Hope that it went well. Way to go, Chris. All right. So um, he said, I just heard Tom sharing a useful strategy for long-term success, which is building business relationships. He recommends adding value to others without expecting anything in return 90% of the time and how that won't turn in it. It won't turn into anything most of the time, but sometimes it will. When it does, it really turns into something great. What is an actual story of when this happened to you? Um, I'm having trouble understanding this as an abstract concept. Yes. Oh, um, and then the follow-up is, is it like you go to speak at several venues, most for free, and most of the time nothing happens, but sometimes you make a connection and that results in a business opportunity? Yeah, I mean, so that's a a great example. So um, take Wes Chapman, right, and invited me to speak at his event, um, which I did. And eh, you never know like where something like that is going to go. But now Wes and I have become 
highly connected and he's advised us on things like the podcast Lisa's about to do. He's given a lot of amazing advice on that. Um, He's introduced me to people. Um, One of the guys on his team, a guy named JJ, um, has introduced me to people. I've gotten other speaking gigs because JJ recommended me. So it's like that and a thousand other things like that. You just Mm -hmm. never know where they're going to go. So uh, yeah, put yourself out there, do good things for people. It, it is, I mean, people refer to it as karma, but it's really just a good life strategy. Like doing good (laughs) things for people is going to come back around to you. Not every time. Um, a lot of times there's just no connection for whatever reason. It just never quite goes anywhere. Um, Jim quick is another person where it's, uh, I can't even remember like how he and I first connected, but it's through, your interview? No, I, I think no. we met at um, Keith Ferrazzi's house. Oh, and so, yeah, that's him? turned yeah. into an awesome relationship. Um, but yeah, we're, and the funny thing is, when you meet somebody like Jim, you meet somebody like Wes uh, and a thousand other people, somebody who I really think is going to turn into something, um, Jay Samet, right? Like, love Jay. Dude, love Jay the most. And what he's up to is so interesting to me. I'm really, really intrigued yeah. to watch him. So it's, you never know where this stuff is going to go. Some of those relationships, I think, will still turn into something way bigger than what they are now. Um, but when you meet people like that, it's like each of you are like trying to offer more value than the other person. <laughs> and so we're like in this really interesting place in society where it's like a whole movement to try to offer value to other people. I love that. that. And so people are just really, really like, what can I do for you, man? No, man, what can I do for you? So it's, uh, it's a cool time to be alive. I love it. Um, excuse me. Still, still with some symptoms from that flu, man. It's crazy. All right. Well, you're at least on the upswing. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I consider myself better. better. You're better. Like it just lingers. Yeah. Coughs. They don't It'll go, go away easily. eventually, everybody. <laughs> All right, or I'll so get tested for next, tuberculosis. Oh, God. Two. <laughs> God All right, so our, <laughs> next, our next question comes from um, KJ Norlander. Uh, what are your thoughts on Bitcoins? Wow, I don't Just, have any intelligent thoughts on Bitcoins. I'm super intrigued. Can't wait to see what happens. I am I wildly nothing. undereducated on Bitcoins. Now, the blockchain which is what gave birth to Bitcoins. Um, I am very interested in the blockchain. I'm still wildly undereducated on the blockchain. But what the blockchain, just to give you one minor example of the amazing things that the blockchain will be able to do, is make digital things truly limited. So if you wanted to paint something digitally, Um, right now it's like once you create it once, it can be infinitely replicated Mm -hmm. and the blockchain would allow you to say, you know, no, we're only going to do 10 prints of this or a hundred prints of this, whatever, just like you would with a real painting. And, um, that to me is very exciting. And so if you met somebody that had a digital copy of that, that you could trade them for it, or you could buy it off of them. And then when they transfer it to you, that is literally the only version of that that exists or however many they made. But, um, that to me is pretty exciting. So the blockchain, let's see how clumsily I can um, answer this. And if anybody is a true expert and knows like a link or something, um, that you want to drop into the chat, yeah, please put it in there. Um, but the blockchain goes like this. There's a whole lot of computers out in the world that have a ledger and that ledger would say something like there's only one of this digital painting and it 
belongs to Cindy and Cindy is now going to sell it to Chase. And as you do that, you would immediately go out to the blockchain and basically say, hey, is Cindy really the owner? The blockchain would say yes. Mm -hmm. And then you would tell the blockchain, okay, Cindy is now making Chase the owner. So anybody could come and say, hey, is this the one now that Chase owns? Yes or no. And if it isn't, then if you get a, you know, a no signal back, basically that's how you keep Bitcoins to be actually worth money because you would say, does Cindy really have a million Bitcoins? And the system would say, no, Cindy has 15 Bitcoins. And be like, oh, I see. So she's trying to scam the system. And because they all have to agree all at the same time, it's, ah, I think it's considered unhackable. So certainly it's considered one of the most safe because you'd have to go out and I don't know what the number of computers is. Could be 15,000, could be 15 million for all I know. I have no idea. But it's a distributed ledger. They all have to agree. So the chances that you'd be able to control and or hack or even probably identify what computers it is, is virtually zero. Interesting. So. Yeah. And now I feel like I need to read up on that. Yeah. The blockchain is interesting. <clears throat> so this next question comes from Kevin Johnson. Tom, in the last three months, what do you believe the most impactful words are that you've spoken off camera? Give us the inside scoop. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> I uh, can't even answer that. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, this would be one where I would just be pulling something out that's like the most impactful thing I remember saying. I don't know. I don't I, have a great answer. I, can't I need some you. time on that one. Yeah. Can't even. Chase, you got anything for us? Yeah, that's interesting. I never would have picked that, but nope. I love that that hit you. So the um, the intoxicating effects of certainty, like knowing what you yes. want, which is um, a variation of what I remember from that event, which for me is being able to have like the direct and real conversation. Right. So in fact, maybe this is the the most important thing. I won't know. I won't say that it's yeah. motivating or inspiring, but the most important thing that I've said off camera um, is talking about being able to really look at yourself. Is this working or not? Like right. not needing to, to be molly coddled. Like if what you're doing isn't working by objective measures, cool. Like right. no worries, but don't keep going down that path if it's not serving you. So right. just being willing to look really honestly, which people have a very hard time doing, um, at what you're doing and whether or not it's working. And to be able to say, yeah, this isn't working without loss of self-esteem. That's where most people get tripped up is once they realize, well, this isn't working, like the psychological immune system kicks in, then they like, they just need it to be working for their self-esteem because they mm -hmm. build their self-esteem around being right, around being smart. Uh, and so it gets really dangerous, dangerous from the perspective of you're never going to reach your goals because you're lying to yourself. And this is why the Goggins episode was so important to me because he talks about like the real breakthrough comes when you look at yourself and go, you are stupid. And so now what do you need to do to right. get educated? Like not, and now what do you need to do to start feeling really badly about that? That's not his point. His point is until you can admit that you don't know a lot of stuff, then you can't go systematically educating yourself it. in those arenas. So um, that's just a message that is so, so powerful to me. And you will find in life, in business, in everything that you're constantly either butting up against times where you yourself are doing that, or you're running up against other people that are doing that. And you can just feel that 
awkward, useless um, psychological immune system kicking in where it's like, man, like pretending that this is working is just not a winning strategy. So yeah, that was, that was important. And I have something stuck on my face. I can feel is it. Is it Wookiee hair? Almost certainly. Definitely Wookiee hair. All right. So this next one comes from Kyle As- Apsy. Apsy? All right. So Tom, I'm curious to hear what part of the three-day fast was the most difficult for you. I found my hunger going in waves and was most hungry during day one. What did you do mentally to overcome um, bouts of intense hunger? So day two was the hardest for me. Um, Day one is relatively easy to get through, at least for me, because it's like uh, you've got even lean people have a lot of fat. And so your body will have no trouble like going and metabolizing that fat. Now, if you're a sugar burner, which for the most part, I dip in and out of ketosis every week. So my body is very used to clicking over into ketosis. So Leading into it, I was eating a high-fat diet. I was still eating a lot of calories, so I was almost certainly was not producing ketones. But my body is used to clicking over. So mm-hmm. I'm going to get... In fact, we took my ketone levels, and by the end of the first day, I was producing ketones. I think it was at 0.4 at the end of the first day, if I remember right. Um, so it's... Eh, like that's a relatively, for me, easy day. Day two, on the other hand, you have nothing to look forward to. Now you're like, your system is completely devoid of the calories that you intook um, on the day before your fast began. Mm-hmm. So you got nothing and you got nothing to look forward to other than more hunger, more pain, more suffering. Um, so day two is always sucky because on day three, it's like, I know that, you know, it's 7 p.m. tonight, like I'm going to get to eat. Um, ironically, though, I actually, while it wasn't the most painful, I was the most tempted on day three because my wife had put in my head this amazing meal meal that I was going to have at the end. And then all I could think about was that meal. Like I was really going crazy. But so that becomes the day that you get to be the most proud. So, and that's what I do is for me, fasting is, is purely a question of identity. Who am I? And there was Mm -hmm. no way with all the things that I've said hyper publicly, how on earth could I do anything but stick to that fast? Which I love. I love putting a gun to yeah. my own head. It's so, like the accountability. It's right there. 100%. And like, we videotaped the whole thing. Right? So, so it's like, that became and, very yeah. easy. <laughs> Who do you want to be? That's it. Who do you want to be? And are you actually becoming that person? And the thing is, I don't, I know that I can trick other people, but I can't trick myself. So if I, actually want to be that person and I want to feel proud about who I am, then I have to, I have to do it in my most private moments, in the moments where I know I could get away with this. Mm-hmm. In those moments, you have to hold up. So for me, it's like dealing with the hunger. Eh, it was like, once I decided I was going to do it, that's it. It's like, it was for me, I was not nervous on my wedding day. I literally don't even understand people who are nervous on their wedding day, but I was really careful about deciding whether or not to propose. Because for me, once I propose, like, that's it. Like, now we're getting married. Like, yeah, 100%. So I'm not going to propose if I'm unsure. I don't even understand that. So I don't know how people get themselves in that situation. Yeah. So, but deciding to propose, that was hard. So deciding to do the fast, there was trepidation about that. I was like, oh, God, this is always so painful. This is not a fun time. Um, but got to do it. Want to get somewhere ready. And then meeting Goggins. Goggins. If you have not watched that episode, I am obsessed. It is my favorite check episode of all time. They're, the feedback on it is amazing. Amazing. So. Yeah. Check it out. 
So watching that, do or doing the research, meeting him, interviewing him, um, I realized the fast was an absolute must. That's why we did it around the release of his episode. Um, just his intensity, his vision of who anyone can become is so intoxicating to me that I need only think of that man's face and there's not a chance I would break my fast. No way. <laughs> so. so find your compelling re- reason. Yes, for- truth. And that's it. All right. And so if this live feed is adding value to your life, make sure that you share it. Um, That's our only ask right now is to help us grow this community. Um, Every little bit helps. So thank you. Yes, indeed. Thank you guys very much. All right. So this next one comes from Zanette Georgia Nicolas Zorzo. That's a name. I think that looks Greek to me, but... It does sound a little Greek. Yeah. So what is the... Yasu (laughs) digamnis. What does he say? So hopefully they're... There it is. If they're not, they're like, I have no (laughs) idea. They're like, what are you saying? What is that man saying? So what is the proof that there is a eudaimonic destination for everyone? I keep telling myself that whatever shit I'm going through now is so that I can grow and get to a point of eudaimonic state, but... What if that's the max state I can reach and I don't know it? The state that he's in? Yeah. Um, So here's the thing. Eudaimonic happiness comes and goes. Every brain state and eudaimonic happiness among them, they are transient. So it's not like once you achieve it, then you're there and you never have to worry about it again. It's kind of like success. Um, Excuse me, there was that J.J. Watt quote, which I love very much. Um, Success is not owned its least and rent is due every day. That is exactly the same for eudaimonic happiness. And for anybody watching that doesn't know eudaimonic happiness, first of all, watch the Dr. Drew episode. He's very, very eloquent on that. It's what I call framework happiness. So framework happiness versus just normal happiness. Um, A bowl of ice cream is going to make you happy. That's amazing. Or as Dr. Drew said, a hit of heroin is going to make you happy. Um, But it's not true, lasting fulfillment. And when I say lasting, no, that I mean it comes and goes still, but that if you're really becoming something, it's it's a much longer, much more resilient, much more, um, it's going to come into your brain state much more often when you're becoming something. And uh, so take, for instance, my obsession, which is to build my self-esteem around identifying the right answer, uh, being a learner, like those things make me feel good about myself. And, and they are now to really just bounce around between Dr. Drew and Goggins. Um, It's what Goggins talks about, the cookie jar. And eudaimonic happiness is when you have a lot of cookies in your cookie jar. So some of the things that Goggins has in his cookie jar, um, the fact that he ran 100 miles in 24 hours without any preparation whatsoever. He did it on broken feet, shin splints. He was tearing muscles. He was urinating blood. He defecated on himself. All this happened at mile 70. Well, so he'd been breaking his feet, I'm sure, along the way. But the 70 miles broke his feet. Um, And then at, at mile 70, he stopped, which was probably a mistake. Uh, but he ended up eating and getting back going and then ends up finishing on time. Um, he went through hell week twice, uh, sorry, three times, finished it twice. Um, and, and just on and on being willing to, cause he served in Iraq, being willing to kick a door down that, you know, on the other side is somebody potentially that wants to kill you and has a weaponry to make that happen or that it could be booby trapped and have a bomb on it and just went in door after door after door after door. Um, so 
Like that's his cookie jar and his cookie jar is full. And so moments where he is struggling with whatever, maybe he's doing a race or something like that and he can reach in that cookie jar and those are those, that thing that he's becoming, that person that he's earned the credibility and the pride within himself to say, I am this person, I have done these things. That's eudaimonic happiness. It's very different than a bowl of ice cream, which is external and you take it in and it adjusts your brain chemistry. And um, But once it's gone, like you can't re-get yourself happy and in that state just by thinking about the bowl of ice cream, right? You need to actually eat the bowl of ice cream. Whereas something that's eudaimonic, something that is true framework happiness, it's there because you've done it. You've accomplished that thing. You've stared that demon down in the face. You've dealt with that suffering. You've um, been good when it was hard. Like all those things about who you are, like those are things that last. Those are things you can put in the jar that you can reach to and merely remembering them. They remind you of who you are. And mm-hmm. when you're, when you feel good about who you are, when you feel good about who you're becoming, when you feel good about what you're striving towards and what you're willing to work for, like that's the juice. Oh. Word. I just like had this moment where I was like thinking about the last thing you said. And if you find it difficult, like you can always create that tangible jar to like pull those little Legit. notes out of. Um, because something about like that physical space and like reading it, it almost takes it outside of yourself that now, like if you're having trouble building that framework for yourself, you start to know it a little that. better. So maybe try that out. All right. So we have a couple shout outs um, to Johan tuning in from France. Nice. We've got Sarah Carger from Texas. Sarah. We've got Dora in the house from Germany. The Explorer? No. But, but she's I'm sure Germany. she's like an explorer in We've her own right. We've got mad love for Germany in this place. <laughs> I like to think I'm the David Hasselhoff. The new David Hasselhoff. Yeah. Um, and then we've so got good. Josh Martell tuning in for Florida. Nice. And Zanette wants to follow up and let you know that she's definitely Greek. Nice. So what is up? She knew exactly what you were saying. Hella respect. So. Even with my crazy Cypriot American accent. Not bad. <laughs> so she can actually understand that. I'm very impressed. Yeah. It's like, give yourself credit. You're learning nice. Greek. I thought right. still about a bully. Yeah, sure. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this next question comes from Gus Voyer. You've um, become quite the public figure. How do you, early on, shut down the naysayers, haters, or trolls? My first instinct is to come up with a snarky response, which I know isn't right. So you've already walked your first step. So um, doing. I was just thinking about that today. So... Um, we were featured in a Bloomberg article uh, with the work that we're doing with Vayner Talent, and you could very easily look at the article and say, "This is a horrible article, and it makes Tom look really bad." It actually was um, a bad article, but I actually thought it was a great article. And so, um, knowing that they're never going to come out and be like, "Oh my gosh, Tom is amazing," um, that's not going to happen. So, understanding the way the world works, so I'm going into this knowing that the job of a writer is to seem like nobody owns them, right? So mm-hmm. if that's their job, you know that they're going to say something negative, like 100%. It's the way that they know to make that clear to signal to the reader, hey, I'm not in this guy's pocket. So going into it, you've got to know that. Um, and then with trolls, with naysayers, with all that, like just understand the way the human psyche works. So um, people that tear other people down, like it is such an ineffective strategy. Like It is the rare, rare, rare (coughs) Trump is doing his best to challenge um, the notion that 
it like I want to say that those people never win. They clearly win sometimes. Yeah. Um, but tearing other people down is, I think, in the long run, a losing strategy. Just from what I've seen in life, it's not a good way because people are waiting for like. The wolves are going to eat Trump alive. The second he's not protected by the presidency, and if they can impeach him, they will. Like, this may be one of those times where the wolves want him consumed so much, they're coming for him. Now, if you try to build things in a more beautiful way, and you're trying to help people, and you know in your heart and soul that you're trying to do good things for people... I think truly people are going to be there to support you, to help you, to uplift you because you've added value to their life. There is a reason that we say only share this content if it's adding value to your life because I don't want to ask something of somebody that I haven't done something good for. And I know if I have done something good for you that now it feels good for you to share that content because you believe in it. Like for you, it's actively done something for you and now you want to share it. So knowing that that's the way the world works, that if somebody says something to me and I give them a snarky comment back, I've only now fueled their fire, right? Because they've got the attention that they want in a negative way, which is how they know to interact with people. So now they're going to be more negative. They're going to escalate. It gives other people something that maybe they weren't like they had no opinion about me in the beginning, but now they see me being a snarky asshole, which is only a sign of weakness. It is a sign of emotional weakness that what they said like actually hit you and you're like, I don't, they might be right. And yeah. so I need to push back against this. I need to right. shut them down. So my thing is I know who I am. All my imperfections, all of my idiosyncrasies, all of my weaknesses, all of my foibles, like I am very honest and very real with myself about who I am, so I know who I am. So the comments that hit me that I'm like, that's actually true. It's super hurtful, but it's true. And so I want to actually address that and get better at it. So there's no, re- I, when people are negative to me, one of two, th- I do one of two things. If you're negative and it is just purely negative, like you're just being a troll because that's how you've learned to interact with the world and how you get attention and you feel badly about yourself, so you're trying to tear other people down and it doesn't add any value to anybody, even somebody reading the comments, I'll delete that shit. So just brace yourself. If you're writing something like, hey, fuck wit, you're a douchebag, like, okay, well, I don't know what positive comes out of that for anybody, so I'm going to delete that. But if you're, if you break something down and you're like, hey, this is why I think that your, what you're saying could actually be harmful to somebody, and I think that you really need to keep yourself in check, man, like, this is crazy, you can't, like, say things like this, and you give me, like, an aggressive, but, like, there's something there, I'll leave that, and I'm just going to thank you for the feedback, because I'm going to internalize that, I'm going to think about it. If it's real, I'm going to keep it, and if it's not, then I'll ultimately discard it but at least i know that it's coming from a place of like you're actually concerned about somebody you want to help somebody out so hey fair enough um so but at the end of the day it all comes down to just knowing the way the world works and um i don't have like a really tight concise answer this would be a good one to to really process and and make super easy to explain for people but when people are just negative when they're triggered that's on them and so allowing yourself to get sucked into that means that you're unsure of who you are you're weak on your own position and it just makes sense to then go internal and really solidify what your position is um not blowing in the wind, not allowing external forces to sway who you are, what you think is good, right, and all that. Like you need to be solid in that. So if somebody's knocking you off center, you need to recognize that. You need to find a way to recenter yourself. Using that as an opportunity to recenter yourself makes it way more effective than it would be to like get yourself riled up and go double down on that because the way the world works, like then people are just going to gravitate towards your negativity. You're going to paint yourself as a negative person. So it's like, I want to rise above that stuff. So understanding like what it does to my own psychology 
psychology to allow myself to get sucked into the negativity or to rise above it. Like I just get it and I get mm -hmm. what's happening to me psychologically, what the neurochemistry of it is that if in that moment I use it as a test and I test myself to whether I can center myself quickly, whether I can focus on the positive, whether I'm willing to actually look at their criticism and see if they're right. And if they're right, I fix it. I don't fight back. And if they're wrong, I ignore it and I move on. And just knowing that people are going to try to tear you down, such is the nature of it. And it only works if you let it work. So that's just the truth of human psychology. I could literally keep going on that because I find it so, so interesting to right. really nail it down. I'll leave it at that. But that is like learning to deal with naysayers is is so fundamental to accomplishing anything in your life because so many people are knocked off just knowing that somebody doesn't like them. Like, and there's mm -hmm. an awesome quote. I forget who it's by. It might be Churchill, but it might be like everybody else just misattributing an amazing <laughs> quote to him. Um, but that like, if you have enemies, good. It means you stood up for something at some point in your life. So mm -hmm. don't be afraid to make enemies. Right. And just from a community manager perspective, a lot of times when someone's, you know, trolling in the comments or leaving a lot of negative negativity, when you respond in a positive way, they just kind of like are taken aback and they disappear. Mm. It's like you threw glitter in their face and they're like, nice. oh, OK, I got to go. So that's kind <laughs> of how I, <laughs> I treat it. So it's like I throw glitter in their face and then they just, you know, usually they acquiesce and they become more positive and realize this isn't the place for that. Right. And so that's that's something I personally just stand for. And so you can kind of tell by, you know, joining any of our groups. So the Impact Theory League, um, our, all of our social channels, in the comments, all of that, um, we don't really stand for negativity. Like negative feedback, great. Like if you if we need to hear the feedback, absolutely. But if it's just trolling for trolling's sake, right. we don't we don't tolerate it. But yeah, anyway, P.S. from um, Dora, she's actually working on a project with da uh, for da David Hasselhoff right now. Get out! That is yeah. crazy. Isn't that fucking awesome? It's amazing. Anyway, and she also has a question for you. Yeah. As a leader, what are your strategies to develop and grow someone who's working for you? How do you know when to push and when to give them space to figure things out on their own? I only have one strategy. I don't think that I'm... I am, I think I'm a good leader. I think I'm a terrible manager. Um, and I think it takes a manager to really help people on their path. So I only have one strategy and that strategy is lead by example, period. That's it. If that's a winning strategy, awesome. If it isn't a winning strategy, then everyone here is going to need to turn to the people that um, are good managers to be developed and led in that way. And so I'm trying to get together a group of people that are all awesome so that everybody's got somebody that they can turn to. I think that's really, really important. I'm not for everybody. I have a very direct style. I, I don't value in life the need for patience. And because of that, I don't um, offer people, God, this is going to sound weird because I am like hella, hella, hella patient in some ways and others though, like when you want real feedback from me, I'm just going to fucking give it to you. And that I've seen that in my life, especially at Quest where it was like some people only knew like that one meeting that they had with me and I was fucking direct um, <laughs> that that does not work for everybody. That experience really made me realize I am not a good manager yet. I could be if I wanted to, but I actually don't value that skill set. Uh, so I'm doing nothing to acquire it. So my thing is lead by example. The people that get it and they see what I've been able to do with my life, um, they will go, yep, 
totally. I'm going to follow. You can not only listen to what I say, you can watch what I do. And I think that is the ultimate expression of a leader. Um, I don't just say this stuff. I am walking it every day. Um, but I think that managers are worth their weight in gold. People that are really good at that. People that really know how to systematically encourage people to help paint a vision for where you're going to help you like actually walk step by step. And that's why somebody, Oh, it was Mel Robbins said, Mm -hmm. um, she referred to me as a teacher. And I said, I don't think of myself as a teacher. I said, I'm very grateful that the things that I've been through are useful to other people. Um, but I think a teacher is a saint and that those people like what they are doing, they give of themselves to help other people like really do something and they forego their own like transcendence in order to help other people. Like that is how I see a teacher. Like they're stuck in a school somewhere, not trying to build their own business, not trying to do their own thing. They're literally trying to help other people do it. Make no mistake, me helping other people is me trying to leverage what I've learned and my abilities to give something away to other people as a marketing tool to build a business. But I'm trying to build a business. Like I'm trying to build a studio bigger than Disney and I think that doing this by offering value to people's lives, I'll be able to do that. But you are never going to find me in a classroom giving of myself to like my own detriment, to where I'm not trying to transcend that. I'm not trying to go beyond it. And I don't, I'm not even saying this is good. I'm just saying this is the truth. And in any other context where social media did not exist, the only people that would ever be able to learn from me would be people that are in my inner circle and are able to watch purely what I do. Um, Because I, dude, teachers are just better than me. Like I, 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 I actually don't understand it. I don't know why people do that. I get it. Some people are wired like that. It's the same way that I feel when I look at mothers. Typically, I get that I'm being super generalizing and I'm sure there are some dads that are just like this and it's amazing and I'm so grateful to them too. But like when I look at how people, kids are parasites. Like they for real. (laughs) No, no, no. Hold on. Truly human DNA is 8% virus. So let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. The way that a baby literally attaches itself to your womb (laughs) diverts resources to itself, the female brain actually shrinks while it's pregnant. (laughs) I don't know if this is why, but I think it's because it's so rich in fat. And so the baby is take, take, taking that fat to develop itself. It will take the resources from the mother to its own credit. The mother actually doesn't have to live any longer than to give birth. It probably would be beneficial. But when you think about how traumatic childbirth was before modern medicine, it's crazy. The death rates are like startling. So like that is just nuts. And then they give and give and give to these kids who... And can we be honest? Like you can predict a child's behavior. They're about 13, everybody. They're gonna rebel. It's nature's way of making sure that they establish themselves and go do their own thing. They're going to leave you. So like this massive, when I look at my own mom, I'm like, what are you doing? Like what an insane investment into her children she made. Like it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. So I literally can't believe people do it. It's madness. It's beautiful. It is sainthood. Teachers, parents, sainthood. I don't understand. So yeah, that's a very long answer. (laughs) But like (laughs) this, this is one of those things, man, like truly, truly, truly to bring it all back around. There are leaders and there are managers. And I Mm -hmm. think managers 
give of themselves. And they like literally to their own detriment, if I'm completely honest, like their role in life is to help other people be successful. My role in life is to give people something to look at and go, how much of that do I want to use in my own life? Okay, I'm going to use that, 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 and that. I'm going to ignore that, that, that. But they have to do that, right? right? Like they have to do that. You guys have to do the hard work. I'm not going to do it for you. I'm busy trying to build my thing. And I don't want people to be confused. Like mm-hmm. I'm trying to build this studio. Now, I want that studio to help people. I want that studio to be uplifting. I want that studio to be positive. I want everything that we put out to make people's lives better. And my whole goal is to pull people out of the matrix. And do I actually think that's a better strategy? I do. And I think if you really want to help people, if you really want to help people, you have to do it at scale. And so that's the standard that I hold to myself. And I actually was a teacher. So I'm saying this from the perspective, I know what that takes. Yeah. And it takes a lot. And you are literally giving of yourself to help other people do something. So that's one of the things that I find so empowering about social media is I can do me and I can teach people what I'm doing, but then just be like doing my thing instead of being stuck in a classroom somewhere. So anyway, to all the teachers, to all the parents out there, you guys are amazing. It's so crazy. I can't believe you do it, but you're a saint. Um, it's incredible to all the managers out there who just want to help people be better for having been around them and to go on to do amazing things and can take pleasure in that. It's incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Somewhere in there, I, I had like a point that I was going to like bring back around, yeah. but I forgot. I just it. kept going. There was like a tangent. Going. We lost it. Maybe it'll come back to me. Hey, if it does, let me know. All right. All right. <laughs> so we have a couple more shout outs in the comments. We've got Brittany Robinson tuning in from Japan. Um, Nelson Chan from Sydney, Corey Rhoda in Wyoming, and then I might say this wrong, Oder Herman Valson, uh, Valson from Denmark. Denmark. Yeah. There was like a, the little O with the two dots at the top. Nice. An umlaut? Uh, Yeah. yeah. It's an umlaut, right? Umlaut. Is that? Okay. Yeah, sure. All right. Um, we are going to try and wrap up all of these questions. So we're going to go a little over today. Speed round. We're going to get uh, like 10 minutes over, so let's okay. try and get Ooh, wow. these all done. All right, so this next one comes from Diane S., um, speaking of bosses and managers. So do you think a box, boss and a direct report slash employee can be friends? I have a coworker who has now become my close friend. I'm grateful and value the friendship, and this can be difficult to have in the workplace. If there is the opportunity for a promotion, which I will take, I wonder if I can have both. What are your thoughts, personal experience, and advice? It's hella awkward, but I, yeah, I want to live in a world where you can be friends with just about anybody. Um, there's going to come a time, I'm sure, where something is a little bit bumpy and it's like, you know, this is business, not friendship. But yeah, I don't see any beef with that. Um, and I love that. And I love seeing people that really connect and really care for each other in a business environment. I think that makes for a better business. Um, when people actually care about each other, they're actually looking out for each other. Um, and as long as a friendship can survive that hard moment where somebody has to be real with you about maybe you're not ready for a promotion. Um, if, if you guys can survive that and separate the two, good on yeah. you. But I, I do think it's possible and I think that it's beautiful. And I think having, feeling like people have your back in a work environment is one of the reasons why you would stay. And if you felt like nobody had your back and you didn't have real friends there, uh, I just don't think people will stay as long. So yeah, I would, I would encourage real friendships um, in a business. Yeah, and I think I read somewhere or um, that the biggest predictor of 
if you're going to stay at a company or anything like that is, do you have friends at work? Yeah. It's like, do you have a work best friend? And it's like, it's so interesting because you think that everything has to stay professional and as it should, but you can build it into the culture where there's honest feedback and no one's going to take it personally. And, but you can still, you know, laugh about it and, Mm. you know, hang out. So, yeah, I think that's pretty important. Yeah. All right. So this next question comes from Nelson Chan. Um, Tom, can you please talk about your plans for your diet? Are you going to do keto now? Um, And what are your thoughts on MCT oil? So uh, MCT oil. Oh, and lastly, did you work out during the fast? Um, I worked out (laughs) one of the days during the fast because I had the flu. So going into the fast, I still wasn't feeling 100% and I didn't want to work out until I actually felt better. Um, So the third day of the fast, I felt like, okay, now I'm officially over the flu. Um, So I did work out. Uh, The last time I did a fast, I worked out the whole time. Um, Yeah. And I think you're lower energy during a fast to be sure, but um, you can still get a great workout in. Um, In terms of what my diet, my diet's going to stay the same as it was before the fast, which is um, about four days a week. Uh, I'll be high protein. I do that because if I don't do high protein, I start losing muscle mass. And I know there are people out there who swear that they don't. And that's awesome. And I'm super jealous, but I've done nine months of keto before straight it. You feel amazing, but I found that it was absolutely atrocious for lean muscle mass for me. Not everyone is going to have the same response, but for me, I felt soft. I felt flat and I was working out the same. Mm -hmm. So, uh, just not, not a good look for me. Um, so I do four days a week, high protein, and then three days a week I do, um, ketogenic. So high fat, low protein and virtually no carbohydrate. Um, so that's been a winning formula for me. I'm going to be restricting my calories and I'm going to be doing cardio. Um, so that's going to be my summer ready routine. Keep in mind, I've been messing with my physique and my diet for like 12, 13, 14 years now. Um, so this is something that I really, really know how to do. I know my body very well. I know what I respond to very well. Um, so there's no mystery. I, maybe the way that I do it isn't optimal. And I'm couching all this because people get really weird about diet and physique. Um, everybody thinks they have the holy grail. I will just tell you this. There's enough individual variability. Anybody that, if they say what they do works for everyone, um, it's it just not true. Like every, right. there's so much variability. What's optimal for somebody else isn't necessarily going to be optimal for you. So starting with where somebody else is is great, but don't be afraid to experiment yourself and, and really look at the results and see what's working for you. So that's where I've settled on. And the reason that I do the three days of ketogenics is because if I don't, then I have inflammation problems and my joints begin to hurt. Uh, but if I do three days, then it's amazing. Um, if I'm having a hard time getting as lean as I want, then I may kick over into full-blown ketosis because it changes your relationship to Hunger, and I find it very easy to lower mm-hmm. my calories dramatically when I'm ketogenic in a way that when I'm high protein, it's brutal. So, but I'll leave that. If I'm not where I want to be by sort of okay. mid July, then um, I might do that. But up till then, I, I want to make sure that my lean muscle mass stays firm. Speaking of individual personal Excuse reactions, me. so Anna um, says, I fasted one and a half days this weekend to join you, but I felt um, suddenly dizzy, like really badly. Um, not hungry, just dizzy, hands trembling, feeling sick and feeling super weak and cold. I got scared and started eating again. Did you go through this too? Yeah. I mean, there's sometimes I, my hands trembling, no. Um, but, uh, like a little lightheaded at times. Sure. Um, I think it's always good to 
if you're not working with a doctor, can I be honest? Yep. I have to tell you to work with a doctor for legal reasons, but here's the truth. Like figure, figure it out. That's my thing. Like go through it. If you're finding that you're getting dizzy, you need to figure out why, like, are you missing a mineral or something like that? Or your electrolytes off? Who knows what it is? Um, everybody can and should fast. In my opinion, talk to a doctor, talk to a doctor. Um, <laughs> but like, in my opinion, like everybody should figure out how to be able to fast. I think it is absolutely critical that people are pumping ketones through their body. I think from an evolutionary perspective, there's just so much adjusting of our DNA to make sure that we can survive a fast that it's like the sun. If you don't get any sun, you're dust. If you get too much sun, you're dust. So it's like that with fasting. If you don't fast enough, I actually think you will have problems. If you fast too much, it's called starving to death. So in there somewhere, like you need to find that answer. So fasting isn't fun. So there are going to be parts of it that you don't like. I think that normally what happens is like people, because it sucks so much, like they don't want to figure it out. And so they hit that roadblock and they stop. So I would say, figure that out, find a doctor that understands fasting. Most doctors are going to tell you fasting is crazy. That to me should get them disbarred, but that's just my opinion. Um, so, and I guess you don't disbar a doctor. That's for lawyers, but yep. uh, you should lose your license. Um, but yeah, so find somebody that understands fasting that can help you do it. Figure it out. I think it's important. Right, but I think you, to be to be fair, if you really felt that badly, then I think eating was a good choice for you. And it's again figuring out. Maybe next time you can go two days. Next time you can maybe incrementally increase or figure out, again, what works. Yeah, 100%. Personally. My thing is um, trust yourself, trust your body, but also know that you're going to look for every excuse not to do it. So if your goal is a three-day fast, you have to hold yourself to that it may not be that time because if your body is telling you, no, 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 this right. is seriously like, this like is scary, it. you need to eat for sure. Yeah. But then you need to find somebody that can help you get through it in a safe manner. That's yep. the moral of my story. It's not a, well, I tried it. It didn't work for me and therefore I'm done. All right. And she wants to know, when are we doing it again? Um, so. I'll probably do it once a year. I don't know that I'll do it much more than that. Um, but yeah, I could see doing it as a lead into summer ready every year. We'll see. I'm not holding myself to that. But if I feel like I need it, but it was, it is good to suffer. So roughly once a year. So I guess end of May, tune back in. (laughs) It's my gut instinct. (laughs) All right. So this one comes from Joshua Martell. How do you define a manager versus a micromanager? Jesus. Uh, Well, so micromanaging is somebody that isn't giving you the space to figure it out and learn it themselves, yourself. Um, So they're in there telling you exactly how to do it. Um, They make you feel like a pair of hands. They're shutting you down emotionally. Um, And a manager is somebody that understands that the way that humans learn is through making mistakes, having the space to try their ideas, to really get in there and figure something out for themselves, but at the same time holds them to deadlines and goals, um, make sure that they're in alignment with the company um, that's really helping you see what your trajectory is through the company. Uh, To me, they're, they're worlds apart. And micromanaging is like 
a, a technique, if you will, mm. whereas a manager <laughs> is somebody that really helps people um, develop their career path and all of that. And they're very hands-on and very encouraging and, um, and really works with you on like an ongoing basis to make sure that you get where you want to go. I think about the max number of people that you can manage is probably in the 7 to 10 range. I don't think people could do more than that. So it's very hands-on, very tactile. Tactile. Yeah. Word. Yeah. All right. So this next question comes from Wendy M. Terry. Hey, Tom. From the hours of 4 a.m. to 3 p.m., I rock my day. I work out, work, stay motivated. Then I hit a wall. Being almost 40, I get tired, but I want to up my game and be the sex kitten I can wow. be after the hour of 7 p.m. Having kids is no excuse. Any advice to get some afternoon energy without doing a two-a-day with fitness or drinking a low-carb monster? <laughs> or drinking a low-carb monster. <laughs> um, man, the, to give a real answer to that, I'd really have to watch her and see what she's doing. But if you're up at 4 a.m. by 7, I mean, it's just human to be on the downside of the day and to really be yeah. winding down. So if there's something in there that you want to do, and I'm, I'm playing off the sex kitten thing, uh, that you and your husband probably need to make time uh, earlier in the day or say, look, during the week, this probably isn't going to happen, but let's really set aside time during the weekend where we can connect and you know do our sex kitten thing. Um, and I think that's fine. I, I, unfortunately, yeah. humans go in cycles. And so you need sleep in order to recharge and be ready for the next day. Um, so at some point, fatigue is inevitably going to kick in. Uh, and I don't like putting limits on myself, but like that certainly has been my experience. And at some point, you're fatigued enough that it just doesn't sound fun. Um, so if you can just move it to earlier in the day and carve out some time, like instead of waiting till 7 PM, although this may be a, your, um, significant others, uh, scheduling issue, mm -hmm. but like if your day is sort of, um, winding down at 3 PM, she made a reference to 3 PM, you know, then maybe you do something fun at that point when you still have higher energy levels, maybe before the kids get home from school. Um, yeah, alternately, just like figure out where your sweet spot is in your schedule. Maybe, in fact, you guys connect early in the morning or something like that. Uh, but to pretend that energy doesn't flag, I think is a mistake. So you need to work your schedule around the reality that energy does flag. Um, and so take some time in there when you guys have overlapping um, free time. And you know, I mean, maybe 4 a.m. is the time, maybe 5, maybe 6, you know, something before they have to head out as well. Super dope. Yeah. So we, I also just want a quick shout out and thank you guys for the 24 shares <clears throat> nice. so far in this live. So again, if this is adding value to your life, please share it um, with we're always looking to help the community grow. And that's just one way that you can do that for us. And so we're kicking into our final question, nice. which was submitted by Avatar. Avatar. Which is a really cool name. Um, from listening to your interviews, you say that you had anxiety of being wrong. How did you overcome that? What did you do? I struggle with the same issue and won't make progress because I fear being wrong. Um, uh, it's interesting. I don't know that I would ever say that I had anxiety about being wrong. I built my self-esteem around being right. Um, but I guess in the inverse, wouldn't yeah, that mean that maybe. you're afraid I never of thought of it wrong. like that. And I always get nervous when people are like, yeah. you said. And then I can just see like somebody quoting that back. And, and so yeah. I, I never thought of it like that. How about that? So I yeah. 
So it's like I doubt I've ever said that, but anyway, it's right. not necessarily wrong. I've just <laughs> never thought of it like that. Exactly. Um, it's like a different <clears throat> framing for it. Yeah. So, um, and sorry, what was the actual question? How do you so, get past that? Yeah. How do you move past that? Cause he struggles with the, that issue currently and yeah. it's, he won't make progress because he's afraid of being wrong. I wonder what the real question, like when people that's, are so able that. to articulate like the, the problem, like, so you know that the answer is to stop doing that. So my gut instinct is you're not doing the work to change your identity. And that's really what you have to do. So um, it starts with just actually saying to yourself that you're, you don't value yourself for being right. So being wrong is absolutely fine. You value yourself for identifying the right answer um, faster than other people is, is the language that I use for myself. Um, but that's really the key. Like you have to do the work to change your identity so that you don't value yourself for being right. And, and once you understand that being wrong is simply acknowledging a false path that, so that you can ignore that, set that aside and find the right one, um, that's really how you're going to grow and develop and push past that. So I think we have an identity self-esteem um, issue here. You need to build your self-esteem around something that's truly anti-fragile. So that isn't um, about something that is inevitable. Everyone's going to be wrong. Einstein is going to be wrong. Um, literally every single human being on the planet that you can think of that is amazingly powerful and wildly intelligent they're all going to be wrong. And so if any of them let their self-esteem be damaged by that, now we've got just a, a foolish setup. So uh, you have to set all that aside, build your self-esteem and your identity around being a learner, uh, being willing to look nakedly at the things you don't understand and recognize being wrong is an opportunity now to go out and be right and to learn that thing and to figure out what the actual answer is there. Um, and in doing that, then now you've got something that's truly anti-fragile and the more people point out that you're wrong, the more things you're actually going to realize they're right, that you are incorrect, that you can now go out and get the right answer. But if you're never aware, if you never hit that moment where you realize you're wrong, um, you're just going to keep being wrong. So it's actually an empowering moment. Awesome. So final conclusions. Uh, if you have any more questions for us for our next live, which will be next week, please submit them to connect at impacttheory.com or drop some into the comments. We're always sourcing from all over the community. So just get your questions out there. Word. All right. all right, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. This is a weekly show. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Bye, everyone. If you strive to perform your best in life, bringing your energy and abilities into everything you do, then it only makes sense that you would want to be out on the road with that same power, agility, and performance that everyone expects from you. And there's no better option than the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable SUV yet, the third-generation Range Rover Sport. You guys know I love staying on the cutting edge with technology, and the Range Rover Sport's cabin features advanced technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com.
Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.